Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod. This episode is the second in a series exploring advanced clinical practice. Over the next 12 months, we will be having conversations with advanced clinical practitioners throughout the UK and gaining an insight into this role. Following on from the first podcast hosted by Rianne Smith, which looked at what it means to be an advanced practitioner, this episode is going to highlight becoming an advanced clinical practitioner, the start of your journey. I'm Liz Jemmett, and I currently work as a paediatric ACP within an emergency department in the northwest of England. I'm pleased to introduce my guests today, Helen Hardy and Zaina O'Reilly. Helen, welcome. Hi, Liz. Hi, Zaina. Thank you for inviting me here today. So I work as the paediatric advanced clinical practitioner in a paediatric intensive care unit. And I also help to deliver the paediatric ACP master's programme at one of the universities in the northwest. Thanks, Helen. Zaina, tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, Liz. Hi, Helen. Thanks for inviting me today. I'm currently a trainee advanced clinical practitioner on the master's apprenticeship pathway within an emergency department in the Northwest, and I'm currently in my second year of the course. I've been qualified as a paediatric nurse for the past nine years, and I've worked in a variety of clinical backgrounds, which include general paediatrics, neonates, the community with children requiring long-term care, More recently, I was a clinic-based nurse and a nurse practitioner within a children's walk-in centre and feel that these roles gave me a sound knowledge base to embark on the ACP course and further my knowledge and skills within paediatrics. So, Zaina, you you have a really uh, quite considerable experience in your previous roles. What prompted you then to take on the new role and train as an ACP? So, I've worked with advanced nurse practitioners in some of my other roles And they were all really good role models. And I always quite like the thought of doing the course and doing the job that they do. They had a high level of knowledge, professionalism and worked autonomously. And despite the work involved, I felt that I'd reached a stage in my career where I wanted to know more about sort of different paediatric presentations, how to improve health outcomes. And I've also enjoyed teaching and leading within my other roles. And the four pillars of advanced practice seem to embody all of this. Yeah, I I think that that does seem to be a common theme from speaking to other ACPs about their reasons for choosing this role. Certainly for me, my desire to remain within the clinical area, demonstrating leadership, facilitating learning, like you said, and developing the care pathways uh, was key in my decision to follow this career pathway rather than what would maybe be a more traditional management route, for example. And Helen, your experience as an ACP within PICU, it must have been invaluable when you were developing a paediatric ACP programme. And whilst there are well-established programmes within the UK, what would you say were your main challenges or considerations when you were developing this one? Yes. um, So one of the main drivers, Liz, was to provide a paediatric specific advanced clinical practitioner programme. We're very fortunate that we've got many excellent generic programmes on offer, particularly in the northwest. But we were finding that these programmes contained a limited amount of paediatric content. Um, So maintaining the student drive and motivation through a three-year programme is quite challenging. And I felt that a programme that focused more on paediatric practice lends relevance for that student and maintains that interest throughout. Certainly challenges this year, of course, have been related to online provision for much of the content delivery. However, this has allowed students from further afield to access our programme. And currently I've got students from Wales, from down south, all over the country, really, that are accessing our programme at the moment. So certainly the online delivery is lending itself well to that situation. Some of the 
particular challenges that we see are in ensuring that our students enjoy supernumerary status for the entirety of the programme. I'm quite keen that this is applied across the cohort and that all students are offered the same working conditions and arrangements. And in order to make sure that they're given absolute support towards completion of the programme and to maximise learning opportunities in the clinical areas, I think students who are maintaining their old role, i.e. you know, they're working as a staff nurse or assistant of the some days of the week, will probably find this balance quite challenging. And certainly, I think that the trainee ACP role should be distinct from that of other colleagues in the department. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, the, the point you make about the supernumerary status is really important, Helen. And as you say, the, the flexibility to access those learning opportunities is a key part in the training. And the distinction in the trainee role means that they aren't being pulled in many different directions and can really truly focus at the, the job in hand, as it were. And your programme, obviously, the, the cohorts within the programme have people with a wide variety of experience from a variety of backgrounds as well, who they've decided to train as ACPs. What would be your particular experience of this? And is there anything that you would advise others in a similar position? Yes, indeed. So we currently have students from uh, across many settings, really. So from acute hospital settings, so paediatric intensive care general, paediatrics, ED, through community settings, palliative and hospice care settings. I've got some from anaesthetics and I've also got some with a physiotherapy background too. Um, and I found that having students from a wide number of clinical backgrounds and from different professions adds to the richness of learning in the classroom. So each of the students will face different challenges in terms of the ACP role, depending on their background profession. But collectively, these challenges can usually be overcome with the support of the whole group and also with the support of colleagues, perhaps who've trained from similar backgrounds previously. There's certainly a drive to attract colleagues from non-nursing professions into ACP practice and certainly our title, our recent changing title to advanced clinical practitioner supports non-nurses into the role. Where I think some of these challenges arise, for example, different prescribing rights between different professional groups working in the same role, I think collectively working as a team can ensure that these obstacles can be managed appropriately in the clinical area. Uh, management support is clearly important to assist with these matters as well. And, and I've found that actually that's been quite you know, a useful way of managing these challenges. I think the challenges themselves, Liz, just represent a small part of the ACP role when coming from a nursing non-nursing background. But I would encourage colleagues from any profession to consider the ACP role as a possible career option going forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with you there, Helen, I think certainly having colleagues with differing experiences was something I found very beneficial when training that the, the different experiences that everybody brings to the course, although it has been a few years since Helen and I've trained as ACPs, I'm sure we can both remember the challenges we face. Saini, you're living it at the moment. What would you say have been your main challenges so far? So initially it was time management and sometimes when we've got a lot of work on it still is. When I applied for the course initially I was working in a walk-in centre. There was a short time frame between applying for the course and actually starting the the course so I had to do it in my own time in the early weeks as I was still at the walk-in centre while working my notice. So I was working three days a week, I was going to uni two days a week And I'd also moved house a week before starting university as well. So initially it was very stressful, very busy. But once I started work in the ED department, I was supernumerary. So I worked 15 hours clinically in the workplace and I had 15 hours protected study time. 
And I also had another seven and a half hours non-clinical time so I could go to other clinical settings. I could participate in our monthly AP group meetings. I think that supernumerary is definitely important. There's a lot of information coming your way and it allows you to take on the role and responsibility with the appropriate support. There are some presentations that I'm quite confident in from working in the walk-in centre and doing that nurse practitioner role already and already doing sort of clinical examination side of things. Mm. But there's quite a few areas that I hadn't encountered before um, and considering sort of the next level of support and investigations is definitely a lot easier without the stress of being in the numbers, keeping the department running. And it, it also allows you time for discussion and supervision from senior members of staff yeah, um, and other people on the team, really. There was a lot of new information to take on board initially, as well as starting in a new place of work. But the team I work with were really supportive and welcoming, which helped enormously. Initially, when I first started, my confidence took a huge hit. I felt like a, a student all over again and like I didn't know anything. I'd previously been fairly confident in my role. But when I went to the ED, an area where I'd not worked before, I felt sort of like the complete newbie and a bit of an imposter, really. That did improve as I got to know the processes, the way the unit worked and got to know the team around me. And I think good support is really important and that you feel that you can talk to people if you're struggling. I would agree, Zaina. I think that you've summarised the challenges of taking on the ACP role really well. I think that students often feel under pressure to show colleagues that they're worthy of this role and that they put such a lot of pressure upon themselves and perhaps don't appreciate the change in confidence that they're going to experience with the learning of these new skills. But actually, the whole process is designed to take three years. So it is vital, as you highlight, to seek support and also vital to take time out as well so that you've got some you know time for yourself definitely yeah yeah no you both highlight some really important points there I mean certainly time management and getting the work-life balance right is so important I think it's too easy sometimes to focus on the work that's building up and neglect self-care and ultimately then the work will will suffer the thing that really stood out for me was getting out of my comfort zone going working in unfamiliar clinical environments to learn those new skills and then applying them in practice was challenging. But the key to this was strong membership from the wider team. And as you say, Helen, um, seeking support is, is vital. Your colleagues have been on the same journey and they are acutely aware of the competing demands on your time. And as such, they're best placed to advise you, really. So, Helen, as a a programme lead, what advice would you offer to others either contemplating applying or those already studying in the role? So I think for those considering the role, it's absolutely the best job in the world. I love it. (laughs) Um, So I would say go for it. It might seem quite daunting, but it's very much worth the effort. For those already on a programme of study like Zaina, work hard, but be kind to yourself and make sure that you take some time out. I think you have to bear in mind that your programme is designed to provide you with all the elements required to turn you into an excellent ACP at the end of it. It's a long journey, but it's one that should be taken in small steps. Indeed, your learning will continue well after the completion of your programme of study, and certainly no one is in a position of knowing everything. So when it feels that you're no longer making progress, I think that you should look back at how far you've come, and I'm fairly confident that you will appreciate just how well you are actually doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Helen. I think we forget a lot of the times, don't we, to sometimes reflect on our individual achievements and look back at at what we've actually 
how far we've gone on the journey. Um, Zaina, what would your advice be to anyone contemplating applying for the ACP role? I would say do it. I absolutely love my job. It's been the best but most terrifying part of my nursing career before. Um, I've, I've learned so much, but I know I still have so much to learn. And I'm confident that I'll be supported throughout my training, my career, and in turn be well placed to provide that support to other people coming through and other members of staff within the team. Definitely sort of make sure you have a space of your own at home to do your work. I'm lucky in that I've got a spare room that I can use, have my own desk. I can shut the door on the room when I'm not doing work. So it's not always there looking at me saying, you know, come and do some work. And, (laughs) you know, it's always calling you. And I tend to sort of do my work in small chunks each day rather than doing full days and then having a few days off as I feel that that just works better for me. Work-life balance is very important. And I also try to work my work around family and sort of shifts although it's not always possible if you've got deadlines to meet. So, yeah, just not spend the whole day studying. Small, daily, sizable chunks. It it just helps keep me focused. But we're all different, and you need to find what works for you ultimately. But definitely go for it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, Zaina. Having that dedicated space makes life so much easier, and breaking the work down is really good advice. At the beginning, it can seem like a mountain if you don't do this. So, Helen, once people have made the jump to train as an ACP and then they're coming to the end of the training, there is that transition to the new role. And as Zaina alluded to earlier, the imposter syndrome feeling, I'm sure I certainly have felt it and many other people will have been able to identify with this. What would you advise those at this stage? So myself and my colleagues in recent years in paediatric intensive care have found that a period of preceptorship is beneficial to the newly qualified ACP. You know, senior colleagues might expect that you'll hit the ground running and be ready for action and be able to take on the full elements of that role. Um, However, there's still quite a lot of learning that will still need to be done. And even now, 12 years on, I'm still learning things on a daily basis. So I think we have to bear that in mind, really. In my department, We developed a plan that ensures regular contact with one of our qualified ACP team members. So as a newly qualified ACP comes through and finishes their programme, they will work a protected shift once a month with a qualified ACP in order to just touch base with the ACP team, bounce ideas around, build some confidence clinically and maybe just answer any queries, you know, and just general support really as, as we go through. The frequency of this contact, so the monthly shifts reduce as the newly qualified ACP gains confidence and as they feel that they don't need quite that level of support, we, we drift that back a little. And then for those who um, perhaps don't have the benefit of qualified ACPs in their team, I'd recommend a similar approach, perhaps touching base with your consultant mentor. After all, they are very aware of your progress. They've been supporting you through the course. They know your experience to date and can offer support to reflect on and learn from the challenges that you might face in clinical practice. And then I think additionally, not forgetting the annual appraisals that we all take part in. And the annual appraisal should include your consultant mentor and your nurse manager. And this will ensure a balance of demand on your time with additional projects that are likely to come your way as you gain experience in the role. And then finally, I think there are also many national and local ACP groups, many groups on WhatsApp and on the Internet. Touching base with those colleagues is quite a useful thing to do. I think that everybody will have a similar challenges once they've qualified and sharing that can often be useful and then the very last but not least 
people to think about are those that you train with. So your cohort yeah. on your MSc programme, of course, will all be in a very similar position. So peer support from that point of view is very, very useful, I think. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Helen, a lot of the, the things that you mentioned there are key to that transition process. And the structure that you described there would really ensure a, a robust mechanism for support moving forward. As you mentioned at the beginning, none of us know everything. Like you said, you're 12 years sort of from training yeah. and, and you're now developing these programs. And and that training is it's just the start of your journey. Your learning and development is continuous. So having that environment that, that nurtures all of that is really vital. So Helen and Zaina, I'd really like to thank you both for joining us today and sharing your advice and your personal experiences. And I hope you've all enjoyed listening at home and you've taken something from this. I think the one thing we'd all agree on, if you are considering the advanced practice role, the overwhelming message from us is just go for it. It will be challenging, but hugely rewarding in equal measure. The community is growing throughout the UK, so use those established teams to guide and support you on your journey. And feel free to reach out if we can help. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is one an occasional series of podcasts for two peds in a pod, looking at the advanced clinical practitioner role and the developments that are occurring in the UK at the moment. I hope you have enjoyed listening today. If so, remember to follow two peds in a pod. Thank you ever so much. Thanks for taking the time to download this episode. If you want to hear more of our podcasts, they're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and you can follow and subscribe to us on our SoundCloud. Thank you.